I have to confess that I do not watch late night TV. Uh, I don't know how Letterman and Leno are doing, but I assume they're still going strong. <laughs> but occasionally I run across uh, some late night TV stuff because what I do watch is YouTube. Uh, and everything shows up on YouTube. Uh, and so I came across uh, a number of years ago, actually, a series of videos from a late night TV host I don't know anything about. Um, but the, the videos are called Mean Tweets. Um, anybody ever seen Mean Tweets? If you're not familiar with them, the concept is really interesting. It's celebrities reading things that other people have tweeted about them that are always extremely mean. Um, I have to warn you that I do not encourage you to Google this yourself. I had to do some heavy editing to put together a clip that was worship appropriate because they get crazy mean. Um, but I, I, I watched this a couple of times and I thought, um, boy, is this supposed to be funny? It's almost funny, but it's like uncomfortable funny. So I, I want to share it with you, and then I want to talk about it. This is a, a series of, of mean tweets. Like you can't quite tell whether you should laugh or not, right? Uh, the, the, the power of this series of clips is that it humanizes the people that we make fun of, right? We, we, we think of celebrities as these larger-than-life, affluent, rich, successful people from everything is going. So who cares if you make uh, a hurtful comment about one of those people on the internet? There's a million people out there. It doesn't matter. But when they read the comment that you wrote about them, boy, it's, it's almost uncomfortable, isn't it? Uh, it? It almost makes you feel like, wow, why would anyone ever write anything like that? It, it's, it's not funny. It, it, it humanizes the people that we're making fun of. This is such a powerful clip for me because uh, I'm really convinced that our culture is kind of consumed with negativity. I mean, we are just negative all the time. Our online conversations tend to be anonymous, and so we can say horrible or hurtful things about people that we've never met. Uh, even when we talk to people that we do know, we do it through social media in such a way where there aren't really any consequences. And I can say whatever I think without worrying about how you might bring it back to me. Our, our political discourse is vitriolic and all about name-calling and demonizing the other side. Uh, the, the idea um, that we would love our enemy seems insane. We can't even love our neighbor. This, this negativity, this vitriol um, really, really bothers me. And this week, as we were doing our, our daily devotional, we, we've been reading through the letters of John, uh, and we got to 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, where John says, those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You cannot say you love God and not love your neighbor. I think this section in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been building to it for a while, but I think this section of the Gospel of Mark defines 
the opposition movement. We've been talking about thy kingdom come, the coming kingdom of God embodied in Jesus Christ as He invades our world and pushes out the powers of darkness and sets us free. Um, But now we begin to see, particularly at the end of our reading this morning, the opposition movement. Not everybody is on board with this kingdom. And in fact, there are a number of people that are deeply opposed to it, uh, and they are defined by what Jesus calls their hard hearts. I want to think this morning about hard hearts, uh, about three versions of what it means to have a hard heart that are um, critical for us to understand if we want to be uh, allied with God as opposed to allied against Him. Uh, The first kind of hard-heartedness is an unwillingness to see purpose. Um, You see, I think we can be religious and be unwilling to see the purpose behind that religion. We see this throughout Scripture again and again, um, but I think it's very clearly articulated here in these stories of the Sabbath. Sabbath is the defining spiritual practice for the Jewish people. Okay? They, they don't all go to temple every week. They don't all live close enough to go to temple every week. They go to synagogue every week, and they observe the Sabbath. They rest from their work, and they focus on God who made them. And in the midst of that Sabbath-keeping practice, there are a whole bunch of rules about how you should work or not work and what you should do or not do. But Jesus' frustration with the Pharisees is that they have become so obsessed with the rules, they've forgotten the purpose of the Sabbath itself. That God does not want hungry people to go hungry because it's Sabbath, any more than He wants hurt people or sick people to remain unwell because it's Sabbath. Sabbath is supposed to be a time of rest and reconnecting with God. What could be more natural than to make hurt people whole or hungry people full in the midst of Sabbath-keeping? The, the frustration that Jesus has, I think, begins with the unwillingness of His enemies, uh, of the Pharisees, to see the purpose of God. Uh, this is kind of a dumb thing, but when I was in middle school, I got really into collecting Star Wars toys. I'm talking about like the action figures, you know, and I knew that there were two ways to be a Star Wars toy collector. Um, one way, both of which are very cool, um, uh, one, one way is you can collect the toys uh, out of the box and like play with them, right? This was my way. So I would set up these massive battles in the dining room table and all my Star Wars toys were out and I was playing with them. But, but the real collectors didn't do that, right? What do real collectors do? They they keep the, yeah, they keep the toy in the packaging, right? And they never take it out so they can say, hey, it's in mint condition and it's better to resell. And, and I get it, but I feel like it misses the purpose, right? The purpose of a toy is to be played with. The purpose of the Sabbath was to bring us closer to God, to, to help us rest and and reconnect with the one who made us and loves us. And so, um, when we get the purpose wrong, we use the thing wrong. Um, when we begin to think that it's wrong to do good on the Sabbath because that might be work, when we start calling evil good and good evil, we find ourselves outside of God's kingdom. Um, one of the most terrifying passages in Scripture 
comes from the Sermon on the Mount, very near the end of the Sermon on the Mount in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Jesus says, if you don't understand the purpose for what Scripture calls you to do, then you cannot be aligned with the one who calls you to do it. That, that part of uh, the hardness of our hearts comes when we begin to elevate religion and its rules over the reason God gave it to us in the first place so that we could know God and be loved by God and love like God. So the first piece of our hard-heartedness is an unwillingness to see the purpose behind our faith. Now, the second part of our hard-heartedness is an unwillingness to see people, an unwillingness to see people. Uh, I don't know um, how much more obvious this could get than in these two sets of stories we read today. Uh, the Pharisees see a man crippled in the sanctuary, in the synagogue, and they don't see him as a person. They see him as a test. They, they literally, the Scripture literally says that. It says um, they are watching Jesus to see whether they would cure on the Sabbath so that they might accuse Him. They don't see this man as a man. They see this man as a test, right? Let's see how we can use this person to reveal or accuse or persecute somebody else. We get this even more profoundly in the story of our Old Testament passage this morning where Pharaoh is so deeply invested and holding on to the Israelites, not because he sees them as people, but because they are objects. They are things that he can use to advance his power and that he can discard or kill at his whim. Slavery may be the most obvious example of our unwillingness to see people and unfortunately, today we know that um, there are more people in slavery in our world than there have been in any other time in human history, more than we had in the American South, more than we had in the Roman Empire, more than we had in Egypt in the days of the Israelites' oppression under Pharaoh. One of the things that our church is deeply vested in is anti-trafficking, and we have an event coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, but I, I, I just think that here this rings so true, the, the sin of slavery, the sin of trafficking is an unwillingness to see people as people. Uh, so, uh, I have a little video that Drew put together about our last anti-trafficking effort. Uh, I want to share that with you. So, I'm really excited this has become an important part of our church's ministry, our community. Uh, I, I'm convinced this is a critical part of the Christian witness that the story of salvation has always been a story of being redeemed from slavery, from the Israelites in Egypt to Christ saving us from slavery to sin and death. This is part of our story, and so uh, we get to be part of Christ's work, and that's why this is so important. Now, every time we do this, I'm impacted by the stories that are told uh, by some of the folks that are on the front lines of the, of the work of anti-human trafficking. Uh, today we heard about um, uh, an 11-year-old girl in our community who our local police department was aware of uh, who was being trafficked. We, we heard about um, the 
coercive and, and subversive ways people are trapped in these lifestyles and unfortunately how people don't even always recognize what's happening to them. So we need groups like, like your church to go out and teach people, hey, if you're seeing these things, it, is a, it could be an indicator that this person needs help and here's what you can do about it. And we have seen so many different people who have been listed as missing actually be found because of outreaches like this and with, because of volunteers with people that we've done this outreach with in other communities and we've seen it in this community too. It happens everywhere. It happens to young children. It happens to young women and boys. Um, we all are, some of us are parents, some of us are grandparents, and we care so deeply about our families and our communities, and we want it to be a safe place. We want our children to have the, the opportunity to be children and to lead a safe life. So um, it really takes, a, it does take a village. It does take a covenant community plus the, the neighborhood to take care of our families. So I'm glad that people are here and doing this great work. The evil of human trafficking, the evil of slavery is maybe the most obvious place where we refuse to see people as people, um, but we do this many places to a lesser extent, don't we? We do it when we go online and look at pictures of attractive others and imagine them uh, as objects rather than full humans. We do it when we tweet mean things about celebrities, and we do it when we say horrible things about our neighbors because they don't agree with us on whatever topic is most important to us at that moment. We have this incredible ability to not notice people. And I hope you notice Jesus' reaction to that behavior. We're told uh, that Jesus is angry. Actually, verse 5 says He looked around Him with an anger. The word is an anger. Uh, the word is orge in, in Greek. It, it really means wrath. Um, sometimes we have this idea that in the New Testament, God is super gracious and kind, and the Old Testament, God is real judgy and wrathful. Where here's Jesus literally looking around in wrath at the people because of their hardness of heart, not their bad theology, not their bad Bible interpretation, but their lack of compassion. Jesus looks at the spiritual leaders of His people and He says, you have become like Pharaoh. You have become like the enemy that I once saved your ancestors from because you have begun to see people not as those worthy of the very life of God but as tools that you can use for your agendas, for your pleasure, or for your entertainment. The central message of the story of Jesus is that God chose to love sinners while they were yet sinners, not that He offered to love us once we got our act together. And, and Jesus' ability to see people as people is what makes Him the, the King of the kingdom that I want to be a part of. And the alternative to that, the alternative of that hardness of heart is quite literally demonic. 
It's quite literally the opposition to the kingdom of God. And I hope you notice that the human religious leaders of Israel are conspiring to accomplish what all the powers of hell so far have not been able to do, the destruction of Jesus. Now, here's the key three components of hard-heartedness. The first is an unwillingness to see the purpose behind what God calls us to do, and the second is an unwillingness to see people as worthy of the life of God. The third is an inability to see God. It's a really important difference. Unwillingness, unwillingness, inability. See, we are not able to see God if we are not willing to see God's purpose and God's people. Those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars, for they who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Jesus, uh, in this story, um, brings up some real interesting parallels. He says, is it good Is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? And then Jesus goes ahead and and heals this man, does good for him, gives life to him. You notice what the Pharisees do immediately? They go out and decide to kill him. They who thought it was wrong to even heal a broken man on the Sabbath see nothing wrong with planning to murder the healer. See, our capacity for self-deception, for our ignorance of God is extraordinary. We read the story and we think, how is it possible that these Pharisees could see this happening and not know that Jesus is who He is? How could they think, oh, of course you'll heal the man. All we care about is what day you do it on. How could Pharaoh watch these incredible plagues happening to his nation and not immediately say, oh, obviously your God is the real God, and I was wrong to keep your people in slavery, and I will let them go? And the answer is, when we stop seeing people as people, we cannot see God as God. There is a a wonderful ending a uh, wonderful part of the ending of The Last Battle, which is the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. And in this final story, um, one of my favorite parts is the story of the dwarves. So, the dwarves sort of ally on their own against everyone. They turn against the Calarmenes, the villains of the story. They turn against the Narnians, the heroes of the story. They kind of go their own way. Uh, and then, after Aslan returns, this is like the revelation story of, of the Chronicles of Narnia. After Aslan, who is the lion representing Jesus, returns and ends the old world and begins the new, they make it into heaven. They make it into this new world, this beautiful new creation where everything is perfect. And they're miserable. They're totally miserable. And all of Aslan's people are delighting in this new creation, and they go up to the dwarves, and they try to get them to enjoy it with them. And the dwarves are convinced they're trapped in this smelly little shed instead of this beautiful, glorious field. And they bring them um, flowers, fresh-cut flowers from heaven, literally from heaven, and it smells to them like dung. And they try to show them the light, and it seems to them to be darkness. And then Aslan, Jesus, shows up, and they say, Aslan, can't you help them? And he says, let me show you what I can and cannot do. And he roars at them 
with the voice that made creation and with the voice that just unmade creation and made a new heaven and a new earth. He roars at them and they cannot hear it. He sets a feast before them uh, by shaking His mane, uh, this incredible feast of sumptuous delights, everything that heaven can provide, and it tastes like dirt to them. And He says, you must recognize these are beyond even my power because their self-deception has made them unable to see who I am. Billy Graham said it like this, the same sun that shines on the clay hardens the clay but melts butter. And the same gospel will soften some hearts until they will yield to Christ, but it will harden others. And it's possible for you to harden your heart by delaying to receive Christ until it is so hard that when God speaks, you no longer hear Him. This is the fascinating part of the story of Jesus. Jesus is the one who has authority. He speaks and teaches with authority. He has authority over sin. He can forgive our sins. He has authority over Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. There is only one place in all of creation where Jesus cedes authority to us. It's what we do with our hearts. He lets us choose, as He did in Israel and in Egypt, our own path um, for what we will do with the hearts He has given us. Psalm 95 uh, is a psalm that speaks of the desert wanderings of Israel and their sin um, when they turned away from God. And it says this, Oh, that today you would listen to His voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation and said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, in my anger, I swore they shall not enter my rest, my Sabbath. Jesus sets before us a strikingly simple choice. What will we do with our hearts? Will we be willing to have um, hearts like His, open to the Word of God, broken for the people of God, compelled by the character of God, or will we choose a different path? Will we be so consumed by a religion that we miss its purpose, so consumed by utility that we miss people until we become unable to see God? Or can we, like Jesus, have a heart of compassion for the world and the ability to recognize what God is doing in it? Those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from Him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Thanks be to God. Amen.